Every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nefesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nefesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we miss the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nefesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nefesh was put into iron shackles. But nefesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nefesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nefesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nefesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nefesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nefesh. And if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nefesh remains. It's just called a dead nefesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nefesh. Rather, they are a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now, that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death, waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nefesh. So even though nefesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves and it gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nefesh live that it may praise you. By using nefesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body, offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nefesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nefesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nefesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nefesh pants after you. My nefesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's. But then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nefesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. 
So we're going to begin just by doing a little bit of a recap over the last few weeks. So we have been unpacking the Shema, uh, the scripture from Deuteronomy 6, and we've been watching the videos from the Bible Project. You can find all these videos on YouTube if you want to go back and watch them again. They're so good. And I hope that you've been enjoying the unpacking of these words, seeing the depth of the meaning behind each one, that when we read the word as it's written, it means one thing, but as we discover in the Hebrew, what it really means, it adds so much depth and understanding to the to uh, the scripture and to, to what we're supposed to take from it. And so we started with Shema, which actually means listen and obey. There's not two different words in Hebrew for listen and obey. The word for listen means the word for obey. It's the same word used interchangeably. So God says, he calls us the Shema, and he tells us to listen and obey to these words. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which we learned is Yahweh. Yahweh means I am or I always will be. It means that the capital L-O-R-D is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the one true God. So he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh is one. You shall love, not like, like we like pizza or a car, not even family love or not romantic love, but you shall agape love, the fullness of love, the fullness of our entire being. Love the Lord your God. We should love God with the very love that he loves us with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Last week we learned about heart and the word for heart was lev. And lev we learned to understand in the Hebrew meant our thoughts, our emotions, our very life source, and our doing and our choices. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, which encapsulates all of that. And today we're going to unpack soul, which means your whole self, your whole body, your whole being. Yeah. And it's no wonder why I think even as Westerners, at least, we get confused with soul a little bit because um, we have fast food and then we have soul food. We have pop music, and then we have music that we describe as soul. We are a soul, and we walk on a soul. How many of you um, speak English? Can I see your hands, please? How many of you speak more than one language? English is not your first language. Can I see your hands, please? When you were learning English, right, and we're talking about soul, and it's which soul, how do you know that English is confusing, right? I'm always baffled, and it, it amazes me when there are precious individuals, could be new Canadians, whatever it happens to be, and you mispronounce or you, you say a word, and you go, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I only speak one language, and I can't do it even justice. You're speaking two and three languages. You apologize to no one. <laughs> you just stand in there and say it wrong and keep saying it wrong because it's your third language. <laughs> I guarantee you I will mispronounce like 55 words this morning, and that's my only language, so you don't apologize. We need to learn from you, not the other way around. Dallas Willard said this, your soul, you, sorry, your, there it goes, you're a soul, okay? You're a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God. Whether you know God in this place or not, this is true of all of us, which means you are not made to be self-sufficient, 
The soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. And so as Pastor Barry eloquently spoke about last week in terms of the, a car and reading the manual, reading Touchpoint, all those things were so important to understand. So that's the heart, but the soul is what's comprised of all of those things. It's kind of synergizing those things. So there's an important distinction between integration, integrity, and disintegration. That's right. So one of the most pivotal words that we can discuss in talking about the soul is integration or integrity. So I want you to imagine yourself for a minute standing before a bridge. I don't know what bridge comes to mind when you think about bridges. Maybe you cross the bridge from Quebec to Ontario on a regular basis. For me, growing up in the Niagara region, it was the Skyway, it's called, and it, it's a bridge that was built over the Welland Canal, but it's it's so, it's so huge. I don't even understand how, how it could how, be. How huge is like it? Like thousands and thousands of feet. It's not It, it is. It's, it's so high. And, it's, and it's, it goes over the, the canal and it's on that. It's a highway thousands bridge. It's, incre- it's, it's an unbelievable bridge. It's, it's got to be in the books. It's a great, great bridge. It's not that impressive. But it's okay. pretty big. It's a big bridge. Okay, anyways. So that's the bridge that I imagine. So I want you to imagine yourself standing before a bridge. And I want you to imagine that over time, as as anything that is built does, it begins to disintegrate a little bit. It begins to wear and tear. It begins to fall apart a little bit. So you're standing in front of this bridge, you're looking at this bridge, and you see that this bridge has lost some of its integrity. How much integrity is enough for you to decide not to cross the bridge? Is it, you know, just the regular wear and tear of weather? Is it maybe some of the cement is falling apart or maybe some of the cables have snapped? What is it? Depends on your risk. I probably, you know, I or eat, intellect, ex- but I I eat I... expired yogurt, so I'm kind of a risk taker. Yeah. But- yeah, but you're not going to cross a bridge if the cables are swinging. <laughs> probably uh, not. Maybe. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. I mean, you know, you figure out all kinds of things. What's the weight? Is it my car driving over it? Is it just my body weight? You know, all of these things run through your mind. But, but the reality is, if the integrity of the bridge is compromised, you are not sure if you can trust it. And then it could actually be harmful to you. Well, exactly the same way in our lives. When we lose integrity or when there's a disintegration that happens because of what's happening in the soul place in our life, what happens is that we begin to lose trust in people or even in ourselves. We can't trust people who don't have integrity or who lack integrity. But this is the interesting thing, is that there's, there's room. There's room for how much integrity is missing before trust breaks. Like, for example, a bridge over time, this bridge has been there my whole life. I don't know when it was built. It's been there forever as long as I've known it to be. And yes, obviously, it has natural wear and tear, but the integrity has not been compromised, so I can still trust it to cross over. And just like every single one of us in this room, we don't have perfect integrity, and we never will. The Bible is very clear that all have fallen short. That means you. That means me. We all fall short. So that means we don't have or never will have perfect integrity. But how much integrity has to be missing before we actually become harmful, harmful to ourselves and harmful to others. And so that's what, what we want to unpack a little bit when we talk about the soul place and disintegration, the danger of disintegration. 
So John Ortberg said this, to lose my soul, disintegration, means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and guides my life. I'm a car without a steering wheel. It doesn't matter how fast I can go because I'm a crash waiting to happen. The neglected soul doesn't go away, it goes awry. That's from a book called um, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And if you've never read it, it's phenomenal. If you need to do some work on your soul space, I recommend it. You can pick it up. It's phenomenal. Um, so what happens when that disintegration happens is we become reckless. We become reckless both towards ourselves, and we become reckless towards others. In Mark 8, 36 to 37, Jesus said this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So the question is, what matters to you more? what you accomplish or the person, the kind of person that you are becoming. Because the truth is that in all of our pursuits, if it costs us literally the integration of our soul, I promise you here today, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And Jesus was very clear about that. Well, our culture today, I find, and you probably can attest, that our culture today is obsessed with this idea of self-care. If you're on any form of social media, not one day goes by where you don't see a post about self-care, hashtag self-care, or how to self-care, all of this focus on self-care. And I truly believe that it's because as humanity, we do recognize that there is a disintegration happening within us. And it's an effort to try to shore the gap that is within us. We, we think, okay, I just need some self-care. I, I need to help myself get better by doing and investing in the things that make me happy, that bring me joy, that bring me pleasure. I'm going to do some things just for me. I'm going to have a me day because I need some self-care. But I think that some self-care is misguided because Actually, what I think is going on inside of us is a need for soul care. We need to fill our souls with something that brings integration into our life, yet I think sometimes we choose quite shallow means to want the soul-filling end, and it often doesn't end up happening. So what's the difference between self-care and soul care? Self-care focuses on what makes me happy, what brings me pleasure. And so self-care might be something like, I don't know, going for a ride, taking a nap. I mean, we might need a nap this afternoon. We've had a pretty crazy weekend. Amen. <laughs> it's been a crazy weekend. There's nothing wrong with having a nap. I'm not saying you can't have a nap. It's the word of the Lord. That's right. That's right. Especially a Sunday afternoon nap. I think it's spiritual. It's doubly blessed. <laughs> but... But soul care is focusing on what makes me healthy. If I think that taking a nap is going to make my soul healthy, then I'm going to be let down at the end of that nap. You see, there's a big difference between what brings you pleasure, what is temporal, what brings you temporary happiness, and what makes you healthy, whole, and integrated, and wholehearted. And often that which makes us healthy is the exact opposite of what makes us happy. Sometimes leaning into what makes us healthy is uncomfortable. Things like healing, things like forgiveness, things like dealing with the things that we have to deal with. Jesus said that 
all of us experience disintegration because of sin. Sin actually separates us from God. It causes the integrity of our relationship with God and with others and with ourselves to disintegrate, which forces a disconnect between what's happening on the inside and what's happening on the outside, the image we present, the actions that we do. James 1, 14, 15 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So the Bible reminds us that sin, yes, it brings pleasure initially, but it brings death eventually. Not a natural death, but a spiritual death and a disintegration in our soul space and a disconnection between God and between others. So what if our pursuit of self-care, what makes me happy, the indulgences in pleasure, is actually a deception that leads us to more disintegration? What if that pursuit is actually giving birth to the sinful desire that's within us? And it's the exact opposite of what our soul really needs. You know, the scary thing about sin is that if it's birthed out of our desires, the desire that we have within us, it can sometimes deceive us to think that it's a good thing because it's something I desire, it's something I want. If sin literally comes out of our desires, then we, we have to be careful not to be deceived about the end of what that sin is going to bring in our life. The true need of our soul self is wholeness, but finding wholeness means leaning into the discomfort of the things that our soul really needs. And that's not always the ease of comfort of the things that make us happy. In fact, it rarely is the same thing. Integration of your internal soul self and your external actions and image equals the fullness of joy, gratitude, and freedom. I'm going to say that again. When what is happening on the inside in your soul space with your soul self and what's happening on the outside in your words, your action, your image, what you present to the world, when they get as close together to being the same as possible, that's when you will find the fullness of joy and gratitude and freedom in your life because that's actually what your soul space is searching for. But I want to get really practical about this. What does disintegration, soul disintegration, look like for me? So when I get disconnected from what's happening on the inside of my life and what's actually going on on the outside, what does that look like? So for me, this is what it looks like. I want to say, first of all, that I still have a lot of soul work to do. Because I know that I am a work in progress. And God's word promises that he is working together all the things in my life to completion. And so I trust him in that. And I'm so thankful for his grace every single day. Because, because of his grace, I don't have to strive in my own effort. I can receive his grace every day and ask him to help me walk this out. But I don't have this mastered. This is a journey for me as it is for every one of us. So for me, when disintegration happens, it looks like this. I can get caught up in doing and planning and doing and planning and doing and planning and doing and planning and doing and planning. Yep. Big surprise. <laughs> to the point where it is actually, I'm actually neglecting what is happening in the true 
soul space of my life. I do it as a way to avoid the things I don't want to deal with inside. So I will, I will overdo it. I will overspend. I'll overeat. I'll over anything. I'll just go overboard in whatever it is that I'm doing. And again, it's a way of avoiding what I don't want to deal with inside. As long as I'm busy, then I don't have to deal with what's going on. And the, and the real deception comes when I can actually convince myself that I'm doing all of these things for everybody else. And I can actually sometimes get caught up in thinking, wow, how noble am I? Look at all these things I'm doing for everybody else. And I can feel good about myself in that place when actually when I'm really, really, really honest about what's taking place is all of those other things are just an avoidance of what I really, really need to deal with and what God really wants to talk to me about in my life. So what do I do? What do I do when I find myself in this place? What do I need to do? How do I get from disintegration to integration? For me, it's about solitude. I actually have to begin to say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do those things. I actually have to pull away with God and in my own thoughts. I need to journal. I need to spend time alone. I need to quiet myself. I need to shut off the music. I need to be able to take time to get in touch with Listen what's happening. Listen to your husband. Where did that come from? <laughs> And so that's what I need to do when I find myself in that place. Yes, I know. Be, he's saying that because he's usually the one telling me, hey, you need to slow down. You should take some time. Do you think we could go out together? <laughs> do you think we could not invite 15 people over for dinner tonight? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that's what it looks like for me. What does it look like for you? Because it's not the same for everyone. It's different for all of us. When, when we get into that place, it looks different for every single one of us. And it looks different for you than it does for me. So when you are in a disintegration of your soul, what does that look like for you? Well, I don't know if this is a safe place right now because I just made a joke. <laughs> so my soul is sensing. Um, no, what it, what it can look like for me is um, stuck. I just become stuck in my own thinking, my own feeling. I just get stuck in my own perspective. But I think truthfully, you know, and I think when I was listening to a little bit about what you were just sharing, and for me, again, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, um, mine doesn't look like that. It doesn't get caught in, you know, busyness and all of those things. I yeah. can withdraw easy. I can spend time with the Lord. I can do all of But the same self-deception can occur. And as I was listening and listening and listening, we live in such a radically individualized culture that we neglect our need to be in a body. And what being in a body, in a fellowship, in a community does is it forces me not to live in such a way is that everything bends to my preference. Yeah. Okay, and so it's really, I mean, I joked a moment yeah. ago, but there is such health for someone like me who likes to withdraw, to spend time alone, is more introverted. Right. There is such life and joy and pleasure in connected to not just spouse you, but body of Christ, personality and gifting you that creates environments that pull me out of that comfort zone and experience right. life in different ways that my soul needs, that it can't get in a book or by a brook. All right. There's something that so it's so the goal of soul care is not that you or I 
change and not be who God has created us to be, but that we understand that there's more than just me in the body of Christ and that we need we to help us be healthy. That's really good. And I actually think that it does come down to probably the greatest part of ourself also becomes the greatest weakness when we disintegrate. So when we are integrated, when there's a place of integrity that we're living out of, when our soul is healthy, then all of that goodness comes out as goodness and not as a way of coping with or avoiding the things that we're avoiding. So Absolutely. Because yeah. I was thinking about this week as we, was, we were preparing, you know, how many of you know there's no such thing as perfect in following Jesus? So all of us have, as Laurie said, all of us have disintegration. All of us have places where there's a lack of integrity. If anybody ever says to you, I've got 100%, I've got perfect integrity, well, run, because they're lying. Like, it's, <laughs> they don't. Every single one. In fact, one of the greatest, greatest indicators of health is not self-obsession at all, but it is spirit awareness. In other words, Holy Spirit, what are you revealing about my own heart and how quick do I surrender that to Jesus? When I look at the scriptures, here's what I see. Some of the most broken people experienced wholeness by coming to Christ and embracing what the word of God said, not only about their life, but who they truly were. And those who were the most self-righteous had such a hard time in receiving what it was that Jesus was saying. So the Pharisees, again, who Jesus loved wholeheartedly. The Pharisees were the ones who struggled to hear what it was that he was saying because, again, in looking at other people, they didn't see themselves as that bad, whereas people who were sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes who were recognizing their own brokenness were brought to Jesus, but he didn't only bring a word of healing. He also said, now go and sin no more. This is not who you are. Live into a different identity. Don't live into the disintegration of what was. Allow me to bring healing and wholeness and to bring integrity to your heart and life. So the, the ones that were actually appeared on the outside to have the most integrity were actually the most broken and disintegrated. Yeah. And that's so often how it goes. Yeah, so it's this place of honesty. I think one of my favorite scriptures to look at, um, just to give, you, give all of us a handle on this, is uh, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told a parable about soil in reference to kind of our, our soul space. Uh, Luke chapter 8 also articulates it. You can read them back to back, Matthew 13 or Luke 8. They're both outstanding. Just two different perspectives on the same parable. Matthew 13, verses 3 to 9. This is what Jesus said. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, and it was humid, 98% humidity, um, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Um, some of you are saying, I don't, that's not in my Bible. No, it's not in your Bible. It's just, no, it was a weather joke. Um, <laughs> other seeds fell among thorns, but you don't have to shovel humidity, so it's okay. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, or some 30. It doesn't matter the number. All it is there's a multiplication process. There's bearing fruit happening. And then Jesus said, let he who has ears, let him hear. And all of his disciples said, we don't understand what you're, what, we don't understand what that means. Talk to us about it. And so here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8. You can read it. He basically said, okay, there's different types of soil, but I want you to notice one thing. God isn't just good. He's amazing. 
if it was you or I, we would be selective with sowing seed because it has a cost or a value to us. And so Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. And he is going to liberally scatter it everywhere he goes. He's not just going to look for good soil. He's going to scatter seed on hard soil. He's going to scatter seed on every different type of soil. Aren't you glad that God isn't just good? He's amazing. And so when you go to share the gospel with someone, when you go to engage someone, you never have to wonder, God, I wonder if, if you've already been working. He is always working on every single heart, any single time. He's always moving in people's hearts and lives. But Jesus said that there are basically four different soil conditions or soil conditions of our lives. The first one he said is that we have a hardened soil, a hardened soul. Everyone say a hardened soul. A hardened soul is rooted in one word, and that word is unbelief. It's unbelief. That the God of this world has blinded the eyes and the minds so that those who don't believe in who Jesus is, they can't see it. Until you open your heart to Jesus, you can't see it, you can hear it, and you can hear it, and you're wooed and wooed and wooed, but it takes a step of surrender, of opening your heart to God. And when you open your heart to Jesus, he begins to move. The scripture uses the analogy, if you think of a beautiful field, this amazing field, this incredible field is all lush and it's green, and then there's a footpath right through it. How you know, how you know this? human beings, we are amazing creatures. We make our own paths everywhere. It's true. City architects or designers, environmental designers, they plan out parks and they do all those things and they have beautiful step walks and sidewalks. No, no, no. You know what human beings, we, Laura and I walk through one, there's a roundabout and it has beautiful sidewalks that go right around it. They have shrubs all through the middle of it. You know what's right through the middle of it? Worn out shrubs and a footpath. Like, we're so lazy, we can't walk eight feet around a shrub. I read about a university uh, in the United States that when they built it, they didn't actually put sidewalks down. They waited for a whole season and then watched where people walked, and then they built them there because they realized it's totally futile. You can lay it out perfectly. People is going to do what people is going to do. Well, the same is true in our hearts and lives, that as we walk on that, we can see it, but it just gets weighted down, it gets patted down, it gets hard. That which was once soft and lush and receptive, over time, life can just beat it down and it can get it really hard. And so the first type of soul that Jesus mentions is a hardened soul, and it's hardened due to unbelief, that when it hears God's word, any which way, it just doesn't believe it at all, and it creates a hardening of hearts. The same sun, the same substance that can melt wax can also harden clay. The issue isn't the sun, it's the substance that it's touching. So the same word of God that can set you free is the same word of God that can harden somebody else's heart beside you because we don't believe it's God's word for our heart and life. But I want to just mention here really, really quickly is um, please don't mistake a hardened soul for a hurt soul. They look very similar, but they're not similar. A hurt soul usually isn't struggling with unbelief, it's struggling with a wound. So it may look really hard on the outside, but it's actually very tender on the inside. A hardened soul is different, it's unbelief, not wounding. Now, it, there can be ties there, but I think it's just important to note. Jesus also said that there's a shallow soul, everyone say a shallow soul. That, again, it's, it's, there's no root, it's superficial. That there's a receiving maybe of, God, God, you're so good, and I love that. Or there's, you know, you can be in a worship service, you can have a wonderful experience, but then you walk out and you hit those doors and you hit those parking lot. And maybe when you pick up your kids, your teenagers, or teenagers when you pick up your parents, 
life happens again. And how many of you know that in life, all of us are tested? And testing reveals the depth of the soil in our life. It shows our disintegration. It shows where we need God to continue to move in our hearts and in our lives. One of the greatest tragedies on earth today is there are some of you who are going to get to heaven with only your salvation, and that's it. And that is sad. It is not sad that you're saved. That is glorious. That is miraculous. But I want you to know that when Jesus saved you, he had other people in mind. He had you becoming more, looking more like his son every single day, inch by inch, yard by yard, mile, kilometer by kilometer. See, I came not even an American. I almost said mile by mile, kilometer by kilometer, metric ton by metric ton. <laughs> But there's something about you and I not only embracing salvation, but embracing this process of sanctification. In other words, becoming to look more like Jesus, letting him into those spaces of brokenness, of disintegration, of trusting, allowing his word to be the final arbiter in our life. Not your thinking, not your emotions, and not your feelings. They are wonderful because God created them. However, sometimes they can be terrible leaders in our lives that we need a leader above those leaders, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one who had a perfectly integrated heart. Jesus also said the cousin to a shallow soul, sorry to whistle there, is a cluttered soul. It's a cluttered soul. And this, I think, is most of us sometimes. That it can be the barrenness of busyness like Lori was talking about. Or it can be the isolation of loneliness. It can be the isolation of withdrawal, pulling away. It can be the worries of this life. Just all the worries that we have in life, the anxiety that fills our hearts, all of those things. Jesus actually said in this parable, the very thing that Laurie mentioned is that if you set your heart to pursue pleasure as the bullseye on your target, that you are going to find yourself actually squeezing out the heart of the kingdom of God from your life. Jesus warned about a life of comfort and pleasure, not against those things, but when those things become the main things in our lives, that again, we can be happy, but we can be completely unhealthy, that we can do lots of things in our hearts and in our lives. So there's this cluttered soul where, again, that the fruit in our life that could be doesn't mature. You know, it's like when you were in school and your teacher wrote, you know, they're a great person. They have dot, 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 so much potential. You know, it was more like, so dot, 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 I'm lazy. And the answer was, yeah, there's actually more in there than they realize. So sometimes the cluttered soul, these things are choked out. And then a good soul or good soil. Everyone say these two words, hear, hear. and hold. hold. Listen, as I said, God's word is going to be shared liberally every single day. He is the sower who sows his word. But we are the, we, it's our responsibility that when it comes that we hold on to his word, that we engage it with our whole hearts, that there's softness and depth and space given in our lives for God to move. Not that we're perfect. We never will be. But when his word convicts and shows us our imperfection, our flaws, our brokenness, our sin, that we're not pharisaical, like, well, look at all those people that we surrender and say, God, can you move in my heart and in my life. Earlier we read from James chapter 1, so let's go back and finish there. James chapter 1 verse 8 says that when we're double-minded, we are unstable in all our ways. Notice it doesn't just say no, in your Christian ways. 
Well, another way that you can actually translate double-minded is split-souled. When we want two different things equally. I want the kingdom of God and I also want the kingdom of this world. Well, you can't have both. You can only have one king. Well, I'm going to have both kings. No, Jesus said, no, no. If you actually, that's not how it works. You're going to love one and you're going to hate. It doesn't work this way. As Lori read a moment ago, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, they're going to be added unto you. If you go after all the adding of those things, you squeeze out the kingdom. If you leave your devotions to the end of the day, you find out there's more, there's more time for Netflix than there is for devotions. Social media is going to convict all of us because when we see how much time we spend on it, nobody's going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, I didn't have the time. It's going to convict every single one of us that, no, we had the time. Right? It's God. I'm not, I don't say that as shame. I just say, no, come on. Like it's, it's, let's go there. Finally, Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my nephesh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lori? And so if you find yourself this morning in any one of those soul conditions, I know that in life we move in and out of those soul conditions. I don't think it's a one-time, you know, we're out and, oh, yeah, good, I'm done with that. No, I think that the cares of this world, the lure of this world, the desires that we have right with inside of us are a constant temptation, pulling us in, drawing us in, selling us on something that our soul does not fill the true longing of our soul. And so this morning, I want you to think about your soul space. I want you to actually take time. You know, coming to church every Sunday, that's part of your soul care. That's part of sitting in God's presence and sitting for a few moments and listening to a message and really allowing the words to go in, really assessing where are you at. God standing before God and saying, God, I realize I can't do this all on my own. I need your help. It's, it's a part of our soul care. It's so, so, so important. But if you find yourself today with a hardened soul, if you find yourself with a cluttered soul, if you find yourself with a shallow soul, if you find yourself just in the busyness of life and responsibility and you don't even really know what your soul needs, you're not even aware, I encourage you, invite God into that space because the very things that you are trying to do to fill what's happening in the soul space are not going to give you that. You have to lean into the discomfort of surrender, the discomfort of allowing God to be your healer, your provider, your protector, being everything that you have need of in order to have the, the thing, the very thing that your soul is longing for. 